Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I'm your host, Team Hours Daily. Joining me this week is On The Curve's pub chat co-host and most sport pundit, Jacob Phillips. How are you? I'm absolutely fantastic, Timo. It's great to be back on this podcast and I can't wait to talk F1 with you guys. We're also joined by motorsport journalist Oku Jalen. So, how are you? I'm quite all right, thank you, Timo. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. There's a lot to dive into for Qatar, which is good because that's what we're here for. We're here to review all the action from this weekend's Qatar Grand Prix. But before we go into that, we do want to take a look back at some of the news that's come out of the world of Formula One in the past week. So with that in mind, we're just going to launch straight into what the hell has happened. And Gabriel Bortoletto has joined McLaren's driver development program. So he's obviously the Formula 3 champion from this year. And he's going to be mentored by former McLaren test driver, F1 driver and Le Mans winner, Emmanuel Pirro. They've also signed a one-year option on Italian F4 driver, Brando Badur. Brando will be assessed by the team over the next year as an optioned driver with the potential to sign to the program full-time at the end of his valuation. As the regular F3 pundit, Jacob, happy days for Gabriel Bortoletto here. This is fantastic news. I've been a big fan of what Bortoletto has done this year. He wrapped the championship in style in Monza, fairly comfortable throughout the year. And it's always very, very nice when we see one of the younger drivers come through and get signed up by McLaren, which is actually something we don't often see, because if you think about it, McLaren haven't really got a major driver programme. I can only think of one other driver in it currently, certainly down the uh, lower ends of the rankings, um, or sort of the younger sort of rankings. Um, but yeah, it's great. Um, will certainly lead him on into the future and hopefully we see him in F2 next year which I believe we will, although we always have to wait to find out um, some more about where he could be, but it certainly uh, won't hurt him, it's great to see him backed by McLaren and I think he's I think he's definitely got talent there, certainly one for the future Oh definitely, and you've also got some potentially good news for us in terms of the Andretti news, Jacob Yes um I've been following this story on Timo. I absolutely chew his ear off about this story daily. It's my one passion at the moment with F1. I want nothing more to see Andretti on the grid. And there is slight good news if you've not been following. Um, Andretti got the green light last Monday, and there's been whole wranglings in the paddock this weekend. But the old uh, adage of, well, what do they bring to F1? And the other teams stating they can't afford it, despite them all recording profits for the first time ever. But... Um, Mohammed Ben Salayam, who's been sort of the uh, you know the, the main instigator behind this, has come out and said he has all the confidence in the world that they will reach Formula One. And he yeah, he said he's got 100% confidence. And surprise, surprise, guys, he has said it's all about the money. And you know what? He ain't lying because it is. But um, I think that this is good news. I think we still got a battle on our hands. But um, yeah, it's certainly within the spirit of the sport, as he's gone on to say, and it's all about sustaining motorsport, which I do you know what, for once, I actually believe the FIA president is, you know, he believes this. He, um, I think he's doing a great job. But um, what do you guys reckon on the Andretti news? You know, it's certainly looking like we might see them. There's still a long way to go and it depends how much they're going to have to pay to get in. But certainly good news. I know my opinion far too well on this, and you know my opinions on this far too much, Jacob, so I'm going to let you take over. I just want to give me your thoughts there. I mean, it's really strange to see a team getting this close to being the 11th team, and it would really change the dynamics within the series, so I'm just really excited to see if they were actually going to make it. Cautiously optimistic is what I'm going to call that. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably fair at this point of the game with F1 being as it is. Um, but we're going to park that there because we could talk about this all day and not really get anywhere because we do have some other McLaren news in that there are more details coming out on the Alex Palou v McLaren case. The former are seeking damage of at least 20, no, sorry, not the former, sorry, McLaren are seeking damage of at least 23 million from the driver to recoup costs. The team says it lost when he went on the contract he signed to join the team. So this is a bit of a developing story, so we'll keep an eye on it as it progresses and bring you more news on the matter when we have it. But uh, it's been a while since we've had a court case in motorsport for, well, maybe five, ten minutes. So it's about time we got another one. But uh, we'll move on to happier news straight away, I think, there. And, Jacob, more F2 goodness potentially coming into F1. This is um, very good news. And it's always around this time of the year that sort of keeps me interested because this season, as we know, we've discussed at length, Timo, hasn't been the best F1 season. So it's always nice to see a junior driver come through and get his chance. And, you know, it's with Haas, who have, you know, done this quite a lot of times. Obviously, now the rules state that all teams have to do it. But Oli Berman definitely deserves his chance. He's certainly hot on the radar. Obviously, Ferrari, he's a Ferrari driver, Haas being a Ferrari customer, which means. 2025 question marks maybe obviously has have gone with the same lineup for next year but certainly one to keep an eye on and i would like to see him in f1 obviously another british talent and it just makes mexico and abu dhabi that slightly bit more interesting for me because timo i don't want to say it again but you know my thoughts on mexico and abu dhabi yeah, well, I was about to say, you need all the interest you can get from Mexico and Abu Dhabi, so I'm glad that they chose these two to put Oli Berman in the car for you. And it's going to be interesting to see, actually, how he juggles Formula 2 and Formula 1 on the same weekend in Abu Dhabi. I mean, there's slightly left pressure because it's the last round of the season for both championships, but he's been performing really well in for what is his rookie season, I'm pretty sure, this year. So it's yep. a lot coming his way soon, but I think it's good that there aren't any potential seats for him to go to next year realistically because it means the pressure's off for him and you can just get on with just being in an F1 car. Yeah, and that's that's what he needs to do, I think. Just get in a car, get some experience sort of behind himself. And um, yeah, I think it's one of those ones where it helps him that there's no seats available. Obviously, it hasn't helped the likes of, you know, um, Drogovic in the past and Ilot and people like that but because it's his first season it might be a case of you know the sergeant situation we're seeing I, I do like Logan I think he's got a lot of work to do but it maybe it would have been a case of one year too early so if he wins a championship next year which I certainly think he might go into as you know one of the favourites it will definitely help him going forward so I'm very excited to see what he can do in a couple of months time and Oiku, I'm going to come to you for this next topic in a second there, so prepare yourself. Smaller teams are going to get $20 million capital expenditure boost at some point in the not-too-distant future. So this is some interesting news that's come out. So the FIA have switched from a single blanket restriction of $45 million over four years to a three-tier system with differing limits. So Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari will now get $51 million. McLaren, Alpine, Aston Martin will then get 58 million and the rest get an extra 20 million to play with and of what they have. So it's a 13 million increase for McLaren, Alpine, and Aston Martin and a $6 million increase for the top three teams. So this has been done with the hope to close the gap between the teams. Williams are all for this because as we know from the season and James Vowles' often brutal honesty, but appreciated at the very least for just saying how it is for him at least and for the team. He says that a lot of their stuff is outdated, so this is really what they need. He would have preferred 100 million, but you know, he'll take it and it's a step in the right direction. Whereas the Alpha Terry CEO has said that he's against this, not too late now, so deal with it. 
and uh, that's mainly because they didn't budget for an allowance to be made for this to be increased but this is good news no i think it is i appreciate their efforts to level the plate ground i'm not sure if it's going to work especially with the level of domination that we're seeing this season but still at least they're trying to do something in the right direction i feel like yeah and at the very least i think maybe that that mid pack should tighten up a bit more we see that there is potential for it but it's it's still quite a big go from williams to alpine i think for p6 and p7 so if we can at least tighten that bit up it should make things a bit more interesting it's just as jacob and i have talked many a time about on and off podcasts it's it's not quite what we'd want though because we still want to be different at the top but if it helps at least move in the right direction then we should take that for now so again i think i think a lot of this news barring the law case between Alex Plow and mclaren is all just tentatively good news that we just kind of have to wait and see how it pans out i think it's more of a case of good news on paper but the actual realization what might happen might not be as good but it's certainly with good intentions with the one quick thing i'll say on the uh, cap expenditure here I don't understand why Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari only get seven million less than McLaren, Alpine, and Aston Martin. You know, those teams have won three races between them in what twenty years, and or well, maybe not twenty years, maybe more like ten years. But Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari have won, you know, over two hundred so together. I don't understand why seven million. It's surely do they, Red Bull need fifty-one million to help change Milton Keynes a bit? I don't know, but um, we'll see what happens there. I probably think not. The but I feel teams, like that's probably yeah. the case of. They just need some money to keep them happy because otherwise they'll just throw their toys out the pram and say, oh, you can't be doing that. It's unfair. You've got to give us a bit of something. Yeah, I, I do agree with you there. I think, you know, it's one of those things whereby, yeah, one of those things. Um, yeah, they want them crying. So, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to step carefully away from there because I can hear the tone of voice. He's going to go on a rant in a, in a second if we're not careful. So we're going to go yeah. on to the Qatar Let's Grand Prix itself. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, well, only one practice session, so Verstappen a P1, Sainz P2 and Leclerc P3, so we were teased for some Ferrari domination and it never really came across, mainly because everything went out the window in qualifying, proper qualifying that is. Um, so Verstappen took pole, Russell P2, Hamilton P3 after quite a bit of juggling around due to track limits and all kinds of randomness. Signs and Paris are the outliers here in P12, P13. Again, probably just the nature of the sprint weekend catching them and the teams out ultimately didn't have too much impact on their weekends, which we'll get to. Uh, the sprint shootout happened and Piastri was P1, Norris was P2 and Verstappen interestingly P3, but again, he didn't really need to do anything to well, he didn't need to do anything this weekend. He could just the whole way through if you wanted to and he would have been absolutely fine it was all on Perez to to save the day and well we've all seen the Grand Prix in the sprint weekend so we know how that went um but the sprint itself it's a curious one because we've all had a debate about this at one time or other about how the sprint impacts a weekend and as sprints go this was actually decent Piastri won a race and for the purposes of me saying that he was going to win a race before Norris did, I'm counting this in that favour. So I like this, so I'm sticking to it. We count this as a proper win, or is it just a sprint win? Like, is it a race winner? Or... That's what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to take the line of, if it was anyone except Piastri, it's just a sprint win. But because I, I'm counting this as him beating Norris to a win, it's, it's, it's a win. It's a win-win. 
you never stated which kind of win it would be, Timo. Um, so That's true. I left I'll, things I'll suitably it. vague. As I was, was going to say, um, that's what we do best, really, suitably vague. Um, asterisk, put an asterisk next to that. But no, you are right, he did beat him to a win, and it was great to see as well, Piastri getting his first in inverted commas win. And it wasn't like to flag either. He had to work for it a bit, so that was, that was a good thing. And he had Verstappen kind of... Rel- he obviously got P2, Norris and P3, Russell P4, Hamilton P5, which he put on a decent drive there to get up to P5 after he was having a terrible sprint shootout. Signs P6, Albon P7, very nice job from him, and then Alonso mm-hmm. in P8. And then as a result of Perez DNFing after foolishly tangling with Hulk and Ocon, he gifted the World Championship even more to Verstappen, who was crowned technically mid-sprint, making him a three-time world champion in yet another bizarre way. So this might be the first time we've seen something like this happen because Verstappen could have DNF'd in the sprint and the Grand Prix and still been champion. And it was already bizarre enough winning a world championship on a Saturday, never mind anything else. So it was a bit of a mixed bag overall, wasn't it, Jacob? Yeah, it was weird. I um, didn't manage to watch it in full. I did sort of catch highlights and watch a little bit in the pub. So, but what I did catch um, was was actually very good. I enjoyed the sprint. And if you don't know much about what my opinions on motorsport are, you will know that I'm not a fan of the sprint format at all. The sprint race, not so much, but the the format that precedes it, I don't really care about the sprint shootout, to be honest. But what we saw <laughs> in the sprint race was enjoyable, over 17 laps on a challenging track. We saw, you know, Jeopardy, we saw five DNFs and three safety cars. And, you know, when you say that, you think, well, that never happens over the course of maybe even two or three Grand Prix sometimes. So that was really um, Piastri getting a win there, as you say, was good. And you kind of left guessing into the last few laps, which is what we like from racing, really. And it hasn't often happened this season. But um, poor Verstappen, really. I mean, maybe not so poor. He's won three championships and he's won them all in... Um, you know, very yeah, he just, he just can't win a championship straightforwardly, can he? I mean, 2021 explains itself. 2022, everyone's confused about how many points are being awarded, and then Johnny Herbert tells him, of all people, no offense, Johnny, but it's just a bit random that it was you. And then yeah. P3, Perez, just it, it didn't even allow Verstappen to DNF and do it kind of his way. Perez just decided, oh, here's the championship. I'm going to just yeet myself out of the race here. And it's just bizarre because you don't feel sorry for Verstappen, but you feel something and i'm not quite sure what that is do, do you know what the feeling is Aiku? i think it's so very anticlimactic every year you actually you know what is coming but it never comes within the way that you expect it to come it's just so very anticlimactic it bugs me a lot but i mean we're gonna see so many max Verstappen championships from now on sorry but not may sorry. i ask how many <laughs> No, you may not. She's not allowed to answer that question. Yeah. I refuse to elaborate on that question, please. I do want to ask you both, though, that with the bulk of the weekend over at that point, who impressed you the most on Friday and Saturday? Okay, I'm going to come to you for some redemption here because I'm intrigued about how you're justifying your choice here from what you've written down. Yeah, so, okay, I picked Ocon for taking out Perez. I think it was really impressive. (laughs) It was such a good end to the season. I mean, at least the driver championship. So cheers to Ocon for just eating out Perez out of the way and giving the world champion his championship. I mean, poor Hulk for getting caught in the middle of that, though. And I think the thing that annoys me most with, with Perez there was that if he just backed off slightly... 
Ocon would have still taken himself and Hulk out and he could have just gone by and been totally unscathed in theory there. So, yeah. I mean, I'll moan about Perez later, but it's it's yeah. even more impressive when Ocon probably wasn't even attempting to take Perez out and just managed it anyhow. No, he had no idea, I'm sure. He was like, what just happened? That <laughs> was funny. Jacob, you and I have pretty much at least half the same answer here, so I'll let you take take your half. Well, you um, came up with it first. I don't want to steal your thunder, but I'll go <laughs> for it. I've gone for um, Piastri. You know, it's his first win, like we said. And he's really solidifying himself as a future world champion. If McLaren can get their act together, and we'll come on to that later, because they really sort themselves out, give it three or four years. It wouldn't surprise me if he had a championship. And he's really taking it to Norris now, which... You know, isn't you know, Norris is a very good driver. That's no easy feat, and it's his first year in 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 F one. Obviously, last year he he was on the sidelines doing simulator work for another team on the grid, and I did criticise him last year, thinking, mm, is it the right move? McLaren were on a sort of a downward spiral. We saw last year that they're a bit high average to be honest. This season, the back of the grid, and also any sort of now Alpine Alpine a bad hand because you know they junior career and sort of then he sort of rubbed it in their faces. But do you know what? I said in March, team, and you remember me saying a thousand times, if he does his talking on the track this year, I'll forget all about that. And you know what? He's absolutely proven himself. So that's who I'm going for. Pretty easy, really. Piastri for me. No, nothing to disagree with there, really, at all. And uh, for me, I just have a little bit of totally agreeing with you, but also just Hamilton for his rise up to P5 over the last three laps of the sprint after a poor sprint shootout. It was just... It was kind of, I saw him in P9, and then he was like, oh, he's, how the hell did he get to P5? That was okay. I mean, great, but how the hell did he manage that? And again, it's just, it's the only good bit of Hamilton content I'm going to get out of this Grand Prix, so I've got to make a big deal out of it, because it just shows the potential that we could have had in the Grand Prix, which oh, yeah. is what we're going to get to now, but we're going to wait a while before talking about that because of the emotional damage that it left on me. And uh, okay, Williams, eh, they had a better sprint. Okay, so let's talk about Williams. Albon did P13. He led the race for a while, which is always nice to see. I think he's an amazing driver, and I would really love to see him in a car that can reflect his potential. But yeah, we just have to deal with it for now. And his teammate Logan Sargent DNF'd due to dehydration, which brings me to the topic that I would love to talk about, the lovely, lovely weather conditions in Qatar this weekend. To be fair, so, they were lovely as long as you weren't in a Grand Prix. Yeah. Yeah. What do you Beach guys think? Timo, are you going that first? You go for it. Go for it. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, it's they've got to decide what time of year they go to. I was looking at Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. We go to them early in the year, March, April. Do we do a triple header and put Qatar there instead, or do we go? and make it like a double header in the desert at the end of the season as well, because Abu Dhabi isn't too bad there for what it is. So I think it's just completely wrong time of year. So if we do keep going there, which I hope we do, if we look at it purely from a racing perspective, because I do really like the track. Um, and from a neutrals perspective, we did have, we've now had two excellent Grand Prix there. Um, but you can't be happy with this kind of stuff. I mean, as we'll get onto later, Logan wasn't the only problem, wasn't the only driver having problems in the car and you don't want to have to retire because you physically cannot stand the pressure from it and there's nothing too bad to say about against Largent against Largent against Sergeant for that um 
and Williams did the right thing. It was like, it's up to you, but there's absolutely no shame in it. And having that all on the team radio as well, so everyone could hear it, um, and clearly visibly shaking as he gets out of the car. Um, it shouldn't be a situation in the first place. It's kind of a lot of things this weekend. I mean, the tyres shouldn't have even been an issue this weekend, but they were. And then this on top of that, it seemed like stuff that people at the pinnacle of motorsport should see coming and should have either preparations for an advance or just do something to try and countermand that shorten the race maybe i don't know but you know that it we can't have that happening again is is the bottom line there i don't know if you've got anything else to add there jacob um no we can't have it happening again on the points of shortening a race then technically not call it and that brings about its own other problems but you know you've hit the nail on the head there with the first point you made um, next year we're going there in december and i think they're going to mandate it within the regulations or the calendar certainly with the um with liberty media that it will have to happen in those months or they'll move it forward to the bahrain saudi portion of the season where it'll be slightly cooler as well but it always brings that into that conversation we have with the rain all the time. What is an acceptable limit? Mm. You know, I think we're slightly cautious with the rain. And that's more from a, a safety point of view in terms of danger the cars might bring about aquaplaning visibility. Well, this one is the first one that brings into play you know, actual driver's health. You know, because we're not really risking necessarily visibility and injury here so much. It's more actual physical and mental health in the car. And when I, when I heard Logan on the radio the first time, I thought, you know, okay, we really hear this, but it might just be the fact that, you know, he has a virus or something like that. We occasionally see it. I think we saw Mark Webber, you know, 15 years ago, he threw up in his helmet. He just, I think, mm. had food poisoning. But after the race, you know, we saw all of these drivers, you know, sort of, couple of them fainting in the paddock. I think one of them needed an amp, certainly to get into an ambulance. Lance Stroll was certainly dazed. I think Alonso passed out in the corner or something like that. I mean, to read this was actually utterly shocking. It makes me think, these guys, are, you know, we do criticise them quite a lot of the time, but these conditions potentially were a step too far. And I have read actually in the last 25 minutes, half an hour, that the FIA will step in in future and we won't see this anymore. So if the race is potentially too hot, and I need to read a bit more of the statement, but I think saying, basically the bottom line saying it, it, it isn't acceptable. It's one of those things really, isn't it? You know, did we, did we avoid something worse happening there? Potentially we did. Um, some people are caught on the fence with it saying, you know, these drivers are warriors, you know, they are gladiators, as Martin Brundle likes to say, you know, they are they are paid quite a lot of money to put on a show in varying different conditions, but you don't like to see people's health at risk. And these guys are incredibly fit. You know, the, the G-Force, they take around corners, the pre-season testing, they can run marathons. You know, if, if we were in the car, we would have passed out within a lap. So uh, it's impressive to see, but I think it was beyond, slightly beyond the uh, what we what we should see, especially as the fact that, like you say, the, the track wasn't really rubbered in properly in the tyres. So, yeah, a bit beyond what we should accept, I think, is the norm. I think the last thing I'm just going to add on there before throwing back to you, like, um for anyone who's on the fence about it, I always go back to that Martin Brundle quote for after Senna died. And he was saying it because you'd had so many deaths in Formula 1 up to that point, but then suddenly it became, quote unquote, unacceptable to die in the name of sport. And I think ever since then, you kind of, you can push it, but we're always striving to make sure that it never goes over that limit. And Grosjean in Bahrain, for a different reason, is a good example of that. And I think this is the other side of things like you were saying jacob we've never really had this problem before but as bad as it is i hope that this is the the worst that it gets to and that it doesn't get any further than this because otherwise what's the excuse for the fia to have not done anything in the future if something else worse does happen um 
so yeah maybe they're gladiators and all the rest of it but they're still humans at the end of the day and they all will have their limits and that could even drivers that it affected after the race you can imagine how much concentration how much just energy out of them during just to get there never mind anything else so sergeant as a rookie maybe again you can only train so much for it before you do something and you, then you know quite how much you have to put into it so it was just an unfortunate one of the things but nothing to be ashamed about on his side of things not at all no he shouldn't be ashamed of that at all um you know he's fearing for seats and i think we'll come on to it later but william sort of put the pressure off him and said look the decision in your hands has comes first and it, it was refreshing to hear that from the pit wall so that was that was nice but uh yeah i don't think I just see an article today actually saying, you know, F1 is a pit of the motorsport. This was like a, like a trial weekend almost, and the fact that it was track surface down, the tyres weren't exactly up to scratch. It was a whole new paddock and pit in there. Maybe we could send other support series there first, and then we, we should nerf it to trial or test it for F1 because, you know, all these circuits, as we know, require a grade one licence, and that down not only to the, the track itself, but the facilities, the conditions they race in. And um, yeah, maybe we should send other. Of other formats there first but um i think that's a learning curve for the future but certainly um yeah i don't think we should ever see it again i don't, I don't think we will because the faa have given their credit acted quite fast in this one and um yeah so hopefully it's good going forward from here yeah agreed just two points that i would add here it's just as you said jacob to get to this point as a high performance at least is insane especially when you're logan sergeant and your seat is under threat it just goes to show how horrible it must have been during the race for him to push himself to a limit that he had to stop and props to Williams for handling it that well, honestly. Mm -hmm. And also I think in the post-race interviews, I think it was Charles and Stroll also, they commented that they almost fainted in the car and it would have been really possible with the heat and the G-force combined and imagine if one of them did pass out in a car that goes 300 kilometers per hour. It's just having disastrous. And it doesn't really matter if you take action after that kind of incidents happen. You have to foresee it and you have the data to foresee it as well. I don't think it came as a surprise to the FIA or the stewards or anyone really. They knew that it was going no. to be this weather, this conditions, da da da. And they still didn't do anything about no. it. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't. It's a hard one because the, you know I was checking the weather for it, and the, the relative humidity was slight. I think few percent less than what we see in Singapore. We know Singapore is the most challenging race of the season, and that's always been on an accepted limit. You know, we've seen drivers there. I don't think we've ever seen them collapse. We've certainly seen them slightly dehydrated, and they're you know they have to be absolutely in the zone, which is why everyone loves Singapore. I think it's the fact that it's the nature of the track. It's Singapore's a street circuit. It's not necessarily speed. This was a high-speed track. They were running 18, 18 laps maximum stints, so they were going full push every 18 laps. The high-speed corners means the G-forces were you know, a lot harder than we would see in Singapore, and I think that just took its toll. And the fact we've never been to um, the car, these conditions with these cars, with these tires, I think last time was just... So I think it's a learning curve. They could have foreseen it, but I didn't think it would be, be that bad. So it's... Um, I think it's a lesson learned for the FIA, and I think that we'll um, like we'll see mitigations for that in the future, which is good. Yeah, let's hope so. So, as we're talking about the learning curves, would you like to comment on the learning curve of Lawson, Jacob? <laughs> would you take it from here with? Yeah. Um, so, 
Alcatari had a um, some next weekend, really, I do think they um, could have done a little bit better. I did actually look, sort of, you go on Twitter and you sort of read a lot of its rumours, but their predicted pace was a lot higher than what we see here, P17 and P15. I think they had a, a nice under-tray upgrade or some floor upgrades on the car. But, um, you know, they're, they're still probably the worst car on the grid. I mean, they had some nice action going on, some side-by-side overtakes. And at one point, I thought that Sonoda was on some points. So I don't know quite what happened there. Maybe the tyre stints didn't quite work out for him. But, uh, yeah, quite end for Lawson, especially with what's going on around Perez. You've kind of got to think that maybe he would have put in a better performance just in case that there's a Alpha Carry seat if someone moves up to Red Bull for next year, which is still a, a massive, but a potentially. But, um, yeah, very quiet. Um, yeah, very quiet weekend for Alpha Tari, really. And it's a shame for them because Al- Williams and Alpha Romeo got, you know, a hat full of points. So they're falling further behind. And I think they're probably rooted to the bottom of the table come, come Abu Dhabi. No, definitely. And I think it's, I think in some ways it's not too bad for Lawson because of the circumstances that gives him a lot of leeway there. And I still think that regardless of what happens at Red Bull, he's the next in line for the Alpha Tauri seat should one become available. So I think survival in Qatar was enough for him there and he's proven himself well there. And I think now he could just focus on getting that Super Formula title and just keeping on, keeping on essentially and just get on with it. And that's all he can really do. So it's a shame that they couldn't get any higher up, but I think only being two places behind Sonoda isn't the worst thing in the world for him. What is a bit more disappointing, however, is Haas, which I feel like we say most of the time. Um, record P16 and Magnussen P14. Hulk essentially had a lapse in concentration as he lined up on the grid after what was a pretty decent qualifying. And that's why he started in the wrong grid position as Sainz didn't start the Grand Prix. So there was a pit box open ahead of him. Got a penalty for it. Quite a harsh penalty, I thought, 10 seconds. Um, and then his race was just buggered from there, really. And Magnussen got a bit further up again. No points is no points. So it was a bit of a... In, in, in a weekend way, like you say, Jacob, other teams around them in the championship got a collection of points for themselves. They could have done with a bit of that as well, but there's talk that they're going to have some kind of B-spec car at Cota, so maybe this is the last bit of pain they're going to have to do for a while and we can see some kind of Haas research. I don't know if it's... We need to go back to 2018 for that, I think, but you know, I'll take whatever we can get for them. Um, but it's a shame that they couldn't capitalise on it more, um, which was kind of a bit of the case with Gasly IQ, but Ocon at least managed to save things although I wouldn't have wanted to be in his seat for most of it. Yeah, totally. So when we look at Alpine, Gasly finished P12 and Ocon did P7. Gasly had a total of 15 seconds in penalties that sent him tumbling down the order. I'm sure he was really frustrated with himself as well. And he had a software issue all of the race, which compromised him. Ocon was driving up in his helmet as early as lap 15, and I think it continued for two laps straight. But just something to point out here, the difference between Gasly and Stroll over track limits was really interesting to see, because Gasly says he had to do better and made too many mistakes, while Stroll called the enforcement of track limits is a joke, citing like painted lines, tricky conditions. And the fact that it was dark, et cetera, he was just blaming everyone and everything except for himself. 
while Gasly was really mature to take responsibility for his own actions. So he didn't score points, but he scored sportsmanship points in my eyes. <laughs> so yeah, Stroll failed the class miserably. And we'll get, Stroll, I'm just Stroll in a second, I yeah, think, because we're going to set you off on one and Jacob's already foaming at the mouth, I can tell. But Ocon P7 <laughs> with what is essentially just ever increasingly going down you inside your helmet is never fun. So the fact that you get points off that as well, not too shabby. And it's we often find ourselves kind of looking at Alpine going, what is your plan? Because we're, I don't think anyone's really sure. But in this instance, like, you know what? doesn't matter what the plan was. You managed to do a pretty decent job considering all of that. And Gasly, we are in mixed bags of sometimes on the podcast. But, you know, he made a mistake. He owned up to it. And uh, that's all we can ask for. And with, without further ado, Jacob, that sets you up nicely for Aston Martin, which is very much a tale of two very, very different halves. As it has been for most of the season, really. I was going to go back to the previous point there, Timo. Come on, Timo. You know what our plan is that famous 100 race plan. Have you heard of it? Um, but, oh, um, yes, yeah, that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that one we've mentioned several times. I think it's still got another 90 races to go. So we'll see in 2027 what they might Before it gets reset. But anyway, yeah, there's, there's a few reset buttons ready to be pressed. Um, anyway, on to Stroll. I'm still doing Martin once again. Stroll P11. You know, close to the point, so maybe better than I thought. And he was actually in the points before I get on to uh, some track limit stuff. But Alonso P6, and it saddens me in a way because I think that's the best that Alonso can hope for now. Aston Martin, firmly fifth um, fastest car. I think the days of him on the podium with Stappen are long gone, but he's still bringing the neck of that car and getting a good result. And at one point, you know, he was looking like he was challenging and faster than Leclerc, just happened to go off into the gravel, which is a shame. But, um, yeah, Stroll. Let's talk about Stroll. He had a absolutely um, <laughs> we lost, he had a meltdown, didn't he, after qualifying? Um, first of all, he threw his steering wheel out the car, which we've seen on a few occasions. I think he might have punched it as well, so that caused damage. He appeared to shove his trainer, which um, I didn't actually watch it live, but I did see it on Twitter, and I was shocked. You know, that was that, that's really bad. You know, I, that's that's technically shoving an you know a company employee. You know, if you shove the referee. Be watchable. Um, anyone listening out there, you know, if you touch an official or someone who works within the sport, you know that is a that is a ban. So I'm, I'm surprised we haven't seen a statement from Aston Martin either coming out and saying he's sorry, or maybe I have missed that. If I have missed that, apologies. But certainly, maybe a statement it. from himself. Yeah, he didn't. Nope. No, no, you would have thought that maybe there was a statement coming out saying he apologises, or we've docked him a week's wages, or or maybe it's kept all behind closed doors. We've stopped his pocket money not... for the rest of the month. <laughs> oh dear! Uh, we have to find something else to do with this time, but um, maybe maybe stop his drive. That'll be slightly more punishing. But uh, <laughs> well, uh, we can live in hope. We'll get onto that. Yeah, we can live in hope, and we still continue to do that. But and yeah, it, it sort of culminated, didn't it, with his um, he sort of gave just childish, you know, you know, if anyone who doesn't know, I'm I'm a teacher, and this is something I expect from you know younger children. But it was just very very immature. I mean, the sponsors won't be pleased with that one at all. Um, he didn't elaborate much on the Grand Prix. He's kind of giving one word, sort of, uh, yeah, kind of, whatever, sure, yeah, nice, bye. You know, he's not. I don't think he wants to be there, and it's. Um, I think it's. It might be a way of saying deep down, you know, Dad, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, they, he had a dream. His dad had a dream to make a world champion. He bought Aston Martin and sort of took them back towards the front, which they've kind of, kind of are still, I guess. But uh, 
I don't think we're going to see much more of him in F1. He's only 24, which makes you think he could have a potential for being at Alonso. What, 15 years left in the sport? But I think we're 50% of the way through his career. And um, he'll be gone by 2025, Timo. That's my uh, that's my five pounds for tonight. I'm putting that all on um, all on red, and hopefully it comes back. And I will digitally shake your hand and happily pay five <laughs> to you if you're right. It will land on green, the Aston Martin green, and end up staying for another ten years. But um, yeah, not it. great for him at all. Um, but yeah, he was another driver after the Grand Prix that um, ended up in the medical bay. So uh, he sort of struggled to get out of the car, didn't he? Which is um, it wasn't great, really, but uh, yeah, hopefully, obviously, hopefully he's doing all right. But um, yeah. five races now to see what he can do, and he's in danger of falling out of the top ten, which in that car, I think it's pretty embarrassing in the course of the season, really, considering Alonso's still, you know, in the coattails of Hamilton and potentially even Perez, if Perez keeps playing dodgers out there. So we'll see what happens on that front. But yeah, not great from, not great from really, was it? No, not at all, though, really. And yeah, I think we just move straight into our Romeo because otherwise I'm just going to repeat exactly what you said, just in a slightly different accent. Um, so it was a much better weekend for Alfa Romeo, which can we just savour that sentence for a moment because we do not get that very often. Joe P9, Bottas P8, they got there on pace. I mean, granted they were helped by Mercedes, but not much, and it was great to see them actually achieve something for the first time in ages. Double points finish for what I believe is the first time this season as well, so credit where it's due. Joe up from last place into points, not bad. Bottas kind of doing what we hoped he would be doing of more often. And I just hope this isn't a one-off, but I get a bad feeling it is. But you know what? For now, I'm just going to bask in the glory that we have actually had something decent from Alfa Romeo and they've not totally given up on things until to come along just yet. But... um as, as good as these things are, okay, then um, we can always trust Ferrari to bring us crashing down just ever so slightly. Okay, thank you. Just made my day. <laughs> so, Carlos Sainz did not start the race due to a fuel injection issue. His car was leaking. Um, that was quite disappointing because I was personally really curious to see what he could have been able to do after the qualifying that knocked him out at Q2. I think he would be in the points. I think he would be able to fight for top five, maybe. But yeah, didn't happen. So Charles Leclerc finished P5 due to a lack of pace against Mercedes and McLaren. So far this season, he has been thriving in every sprint weekend, hasn't missed a sprint podium. So I think it was safe to say that we expected to see more from Ferrari this weekend in Qatar. And yet it hasn't been their brightest weekend for sure. I'm hoping it's a one-off for them um, because we've seen just such a return to relative form lately. And I think it's just the nature of the sprint weekend in Qatar with those conditions that's given us this weirdly mixed bag of results, um, which is mixed in some ways that we were expecting and not in others. So, yeah, it would have been a shame to see what uh, that, that signs wasn't there because I think he could have been very much up there, like you were saying. But... Um, didn't happen. So Kota will move on to there instead and hope it goes better for him there than it did last year. Let's just leave it at that. Which also does lead yes. us a nice segue up into Mercedes' future. Yeah, given... <laughs> yeah you've set me up absolutely perfectly there. And um, well, we'll start with the um, headline from the race pretty much from the get-go, really. Um, well, it was a crazy start, wasn't it? It's not often we see the Mercedes coming together. And 
I did actually say to Timo in the last race, it's not long till we see them coming together, but I didn't expect it to be 14 days later. Um, but yeah, it was quite Remind me to give you a slap for that, by the way. No, I should have put it down on a bonkers <laughs> prediction, shouldn't I? But uh, uh, well, I'll save it for next time. They'll come together at some point, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it's not often we see Hamilton in the gravel, certainly out on lap one. I think it's the uh, maybe the third time I think it's happened in F1 history. But um it was interesting, wasn't it? We saw a, a great start from both Mercedes, especially Hamilton on the softs around the outsides. He has come out and said it was 100% his fault, which I don't agree with. Um, at the time, we were just, I was just more um, sort of annoyed, really, than, you know, so I was, oh, bloody Russell, you know, you've put Hamilton in the gravel. That was our chance to see a different winner. And certainly I thought that Hamilton had the next best chance to um, sort of challenge Max. But uh He's taken all the blame. I thought maybe it might be 60-40 Lewis's fault. It comes down to the old adage again, doesn't it? You know, if you see a gap, you've got to go for it. Um, Hamilton could have left him a bit more space, but maybe it could have taken more, you know, Nelson George as well to think, you know what, he's on soft. I can let him challenge Max, but it's the first corner of a very hot Grand Prix. It's a turn one that most of these drivers haven't really done before, can't remember. So it was all a learning curve. It comes down to racing incident, doesn't it? Obviously, you've got the team because they've sort of both ruined what could be a very good 60-40 in the Lewis column, but feel free to disagree. I have a question for you guys here. So do you think this incident will increase the tension between Russell and Hamilton, or did it just release the tension? Because they have seen that now, if they go head-to-head, what might have happened? And it's not good and they're just going to behave from now on or do we think it's just going to go downhill from here for them i'll take this one jacob because i hope that it's the last not the latter sorry the former there in the, the sense that they get their act together and realize yeah we this was painful for us and we can't be making those kind of mistakes and what frustrates me more about this thing was that Bradley Lord was saying that Mercedes discussed Lewis, discussed Lewis being faster at the start, especially to turn one because he was on the softs, as you said, Jacob. So Josh could have been maybe a bit smarter about things and backed off slightly. So obviously he was trying to go for the overtake on Verstappen. There was no going to go around him on the outside, but Lewis was obviously there at that point. And knowing that Lewis is probably going to do that in hindsight and probably even race prep before, he could have maybe just let Lewis go ahead, knowing that he'd have to come in sooner anyway because of the soft tyres. And it just meant that they were quite apparent and they threw away a potential double podium. And I think that is a very costly lesson. So whilst I can understand why Lewis is then taking the responsibility, I think that's just for the sake of appearances, maybe. Like, right, we'll deal with this internally. We're going to go and we're maybe going to have a bit of argy-bargy, but we're not going to do it in public. We're just going to sort this out. And everything's fine. Close the door and just hear the parents arguing slightly and Toto smashing a couple of tables, um, which totally fair, to be honest, I think. But I th- this, this is Mercedes at the end of the day. They don't make mistakes often. And we've seen that no, their worst, they do, which is last year, it's even... Yeah. Um, and I think even their worst at last year was still better than a lot of other teams' best. So not going to... I, I can't see this leading to an implosion at the team. I hope I don't eat my words. I, yeah, I don't think we're going to see uh, an implosion necessarily. I think should we get next season where Mercedes, for example, are up there with Red Bull, if we see that tension, I think Mercedes is going to ask a few questions saying, look, although we don't want that number one, number two driver, if you're going to get in each other's way, we are going to need 
all eggs in 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 a basket to beat Max because we know how mm-hmm. good he is and how ruthless he is as well. So um, that's going to be a conversation to have. Should George have got out of the way? Yes, potentially should have used his brain because let's face it, Lewis was on the sauce and those tyres were going to wear out a lot more than George's mediums. So within five laps, George would have been back of the list anyway, potentially had it all played out sort of to the norms of what we would expect. But it's the first corner. I'm not going to criticise the driver too much for not getting out of the way because we like these drivers being, you know, quite ballsy at the start. It's racing. It's been that way for 70 plus years. Not going to criticise too much there. Now I've watched it and calmed down a bit because at the time I was raging because of chance of a good race. We're fuming, we? there. <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah, no, George's fault. Let's start. Oh, yeah, I was absolutely um, peed off. But um, I think the Lewis Twitter thing that he's come out on it, or, or X as it is now and said that, you know, it's 100% my fault. I agree with you there, Timo. I think that is his way of saying, you know, let's go and talk about it. And by him doing that immediately, it shuts the whole conversation down because we've seen, you know, if you are on X, you know how, how toxic the, the uh, X community, Twitter community can be now in F1. You know, there's so much, you know, that's being thrown around, arguing about certain decisions, and it can get quite hateful actually sometimes. So by him cutting out and shutting it down, it stops all this talk on a Monday. And we actually haven't seen much, you know, was it Lewis, was it George's fault? I think, you know, although I don't agree with it, a lot of people will look at it and think, oh, okay, Lewis has come out and said it's my fault, it's his fault, let's move on. So I think that's him playing the team game, almost being the team leader there, which, you know, I think I think he, he is. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's uh, you know, a very mature decision and, you know, I can only commend Lewis for that, really. It's funny to me how Lewis like tweeted out something within five minutes after the accident, and Stroll still hasn't put out a statement. <laughs> like that's okay. called professionalism. <laughs> yeah. But Mercedes' loss was McLaren's gain, and Norris P3 and Piastri P2 meant that coming across the line, McLaren got their 500th and 501st podiums. Um, so not too shabby, and they also got the quickest pit stop of the year, twice, 1.8 seconds. And now we're seeing the times with the new tyres that we were seeing on the old ones, which is just impressive considering the difference there. And I'm not going to make either of you to answer this question. I'm just going to leave it hanging there and maybe we can have some comments about it from anyone listening. But championship contenders next year, McLaren? Maybe? Maybe? Ooh. Who knows? Um, just o- Oku shaking her head, but, you know, that's I'm not appreciating the negativity there, but negativity does serve as as much of a segue as i can there for perez and red bull go on talk about that okay let's go perez p10 what a surprise if i stop in p1 and won the championship obviously before the grand prix anyways but yeah um you didn't think that he was just gonna start winning the races now that he has the title anyways did you because like i might have we we hoped yeah but no, P1 for Stefan and Horner has now said that they need Paris to get back on form so that Red Bull can have a strong driver pairing like Mercedes, McLaren and Ferrari do. So how long do you think until Ricardo is called up to replace Perez in 2024 maybe? Jacob, what did we say on our big Red Bull predictions the other day? <laughs> That's what I was about to say. Should we um, rewind the tape on that one? Um, this is going to be quite embarrassing. I can't quite remember. Didn't we say? I, I I think you said he was going to be there in 2025. I said 24 because I was being optimistic because Perez yeah, was going to go off to IndyCar. But we did see that before oh the whole God. Singapore, um, Japan and Qatar sort of 
performances. So. Yeah, I say that was a ballsy prediction from both of us. I think on that one, we weren't expecting him to go quite down this route. Maybe uh, revisit that podcast. Um, no, uh, it could. Do you know what? With Helmut Marco, with the way Red Bull are, Christian Horner's you know erring on the side of caution and thinks you know what he is our driver for next year. You know, let's have no conversation about it. I think he's just trying to sort of shut it all down. But we know what Marco's like. And when his sort of swinging axe comes round, it could be the case of after Abu Dhabi, it's um, it's good night, Perez, really. But um, you put me on the spot here, team. You ask me for a straight up flat out prediction now? Because I'm yeah. going to say, I'm going to say, <laughs> oh, do you know what? I'm going to be, I, I absolutely love Checo. I've loved him throughout the years. That when he got on that racing point a few years ago was absolutely fantastic. But I think for the, the greater good now of F1, and that's the point it's got to, I think for certainly our enjoyment at the top and some of the challenge max, I think this is very stale. Should we see Perez next year in a similar formula whereby Red Bull are still the team's beat and Mercedes and McLaren aren't quite there? Then it's going to be an incredibly boring season. So I'm going to say positively we see a new change at Red Bull next year, but that is no sort of, no hate on Perez, but, you know... I'll, I'll take it a step further then, and I'll say that he'll still be there next year, but he'll be the reason they lose at least one of their titles, and that will be too much for Red Bull to keep him for any longer, and that'll be mm-hmm. the final thing for him. And I don't know if that'll happen at the summer break, the end of the year, but if, that, if he's there next year, that'll be what causes his exit. There's my slightly pessimistic but optimistic as a Van Ricardo fan prediction. You're That's being what... the negative one and I'm being the positive yeah. one. What is going on here? <laughs> That's what I wanted to ask because Red Bull has now won the Constructor, Constructors Championship <laughs> and Drivers Championship. And Checo is second so far at least and he still has a chance to finish it in P2 in the driver's standings. He cost them a bit of money for sure, okay, but then they still won both titles. Like, why the hate? You, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's just what, because of Red Bull's impossibly high standards for themselves. And I think that as neutrals, as much as we can be, we want to see a tight championship fight. And he's the only one that's been capable of that because of the card that he's got. And he's mm. not even remotely done that. And so I think that's. Why not necessarily hate, but a lot of constructive criticism <laughs> that is being thrown his okay. way. And, um, this very much love-hate uh, carrot and stick approach that Jacob and I are taking to him there. <laughs> yeah, it's more uh, more hate than love at the moment, sadly, for Perez. But um, <laughs> I think the reason why we're seeing this sort of... And it, and it is a worry. And you know what? We actually hope it's a worry because if Red Bull believe what, what should happen, they're worried because you know Mercedes, McLaren... Ferrari, you know, who knows team of Alfa Romeo might be coming, but um, there are a few few teams certainly on the in the crosshairs that that should do with with the, with the way the rules work. That you know, year on year we see the law of diminishing returns. Teams should get closer next year, and if if you know if if we see another Aston Martin sort of make an absolute game, we see McLaren, who you know I don't want to answer your question earlier because we'll we'll leave that open, but um, McLaren certainly are up and coming, and if they're there or thereabouts next season. They might not be able to afford Perez sort of finishing fourth, fifth, sixth, just picking up points. Mm. If someone's right behind Max next year, you know, we'll, we'll see the whole Austria 2022 where Ferrari sort of ganged up on Red Bull or, you know, races like this. If Mercedes are there and we know how capable George George and Lewis are, Piastri and Norris are, for example, signs in the Claire, 
Max could be not necessarily a sitting duck because he's that good that I think he would be able to come through anyway, but it would certainly add unnecessary pressure. Where we you know what Ricardo can do, for example, he'll pick up the odd win here and there, or no, he'll be able to defend against the likes of Leclerc. Okay, Max might might win the race, and that's a conversation for another day. You know, I don't want to say that Max will dominate Ricardo because that pains me to say. But anyway, um, yeah, I think it just alleviates that that concern in the back of their head. But um, knowing Red Bull, they'll go away. They'll build a car that's even faster than this year's car, and that's uh, a very negative point to make. But um, I think that's where they're worried anyway. We'll move into a quick trip down to winners and spinners section now then. And okay, I'm going to throw over to you and we're going to bring the move back up slightly because it's a worthy winner you've chosen here. Yeah, so I picked my winner as Alfa Romeo because of the reasons that we have already talked. Double points, good for them. I think it was a really decent drive from both of the drivers. So yeah. Short, sweet and simple. There's not much to disagree with there. And as I said before, I hope this isn't just a one-off, fingers crossed. Myself, I went for Piastri because if even if we ignore the fact that he got sprint pole, sprint win, and then finished P2 in the Grand Prix itself in these conditions, which is just incredibly impressive, and the man is a world champion in waiting already of at least at least two, I'd say. That that is a there's a prediction. Um the comedic reasons I've chosen because of the interviews they did across the weekend alone, if for no other reason there, because, I mean, when he found out on live on air that he was getting demoted down in qualifying because of track limits, he went, well, that's not ideal. And that's not fun to be with. And then, so well, so professional. Oh, yeah, so so well, Lance Stroll. And then when he got the, the sprint shootout poll, he was like, oh, well, I'm going to wait five minutes to see if the FIA are going to actually let me keep it. And then I can't remember what he was even saying for the post-race interviews when he got second place in the Grand Prix, but he was just cracking everyone up there as well. And it's just like, this boy After is just... Prix, um, he said, like, he thanked whoever bowled out all the drivers on his way. He was mm. like, was it the Mercedes guys? Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> them as well, yeah. I mean, that that, that yeah, too. Yeah. I mean, that was... that was well, But it was just the fact that he's just gone through the same things everyone else has gone. Everyone else is collapsing left, right, and centre, and he's there, granted, on the floor, but moving around to angle himself better for the TV and then they turn it off and like, oh, come on, guys. And it's like, he's, how is he just still so full of energy? And you just got to love that. So Piastri, we, I'm so glad he's there this season. So that yeah. is why we, he's in my, he's my winner for this weekend. And Jacob, you've chosen Williams, which for a second there, I was wondering why, but then I thought, well, there's probably a nice wholesome reason for this, I think. Yeah, there is. Not Williams' performance necessarily, but Williams for the, you know, their, their man management, their HR skills. Um, to hear a driver come on the radio, like you said, and display symptoms of illness or dehydration or fever or whatever it was, is never nice. And in the million, billion, trillion dollar industry that F1 is, the cutthroat industry, the, the results mean more than you know, humanity sometimes. It was nice to see Williams say, do you know what? We know you're under pressure, but there is no harm in retiring here. I think that was just... A very, very nice message to hear James Vowles come on the radio. And I've been very, very commending of most of what James Vowles has said recently. And one thing in particular I'm not, which I'll come on to in a minute. But one thing I really commend him for is his man management skills. He was the first to come out after Japan and say, you know, it's not been a great weekend from Logan. We know what he can do. We've seen it times. We believe in him. And he's our driver. And how many teams have we said that, you know, seen you know, seen said that not a lot at all, especially in the Red Bull days. You know, Red Bull and Gasly or 
They, they don't even know what a compliment is. No, no they had absolutely no idea. So it's a it's it's a refreshing take um, in what is, you know, like we say, a very cutthroat industry. So Williams for that and the supporting of Logan a couple of weeks ago. Although I said, you know, he does need to pick it up, which he does. I think that is something that we shouldn't take for granted. And I can only, I can only take my heart to what was said on the radio there. We'll stick with you then for a minute, Jacob, and uh, you can explain your spinners because you've picked what I thought was going. I thought Oku had the most interesting uh, spinners section here, but then you decided to take that personally. So I'm intrigued by your choice here. This could be the first time that the winner is also technically kind of in a roundabout way the spinner on this um, podcast. But <laughs> team principles, attitudes, and I'm looking at you, James Vowles. And I think there might be potentially bigger problems from this weekend because it's only the word of one man. But this set me up for a really negative tone this weekend. And me and Timo talk at length about all things F1. A lot of it repeats and repetitive stuff, but we love it that much. We forget what we say. But um, It's like old episodes of Friends. You just you can't help yourself. Yeah, once you've seen them, you've kind of seen them all, but you kind of forget that you've seen them and you love them all at the same time. But um, I messaged Pimo, I think I sent him a voice note on Friday saying, you know, I've given this guy an absolute ounce of praise and he's acting like a, you know, an utter, utter twit, really. James Vowles did come out and say before the weekend that um, Williams, you know, can't afford people like Andretti to come into the sports. They'll lose X amount of money. I can't remember the exact figure, despite recording profits. And we know that um, Doris and Capital, their owners, are starting to record profits as well. And the fact they've been given a CapEx raise, so they've been helped that way as well. We do know that it's hard because Williams have struggled over the years. We've seen in COVID, they were close to going bust. It wasn't nice to see. It's a family name. But um, for him to say we can't afford it and then say he had no qualms about General Motors coming into the sport, which, for those who haven't been following the story, are partnering with Andretti to potentially provide technical expertise and build an engine going forward. But he said, yeah, we've got no problem with them coming into the sport. And if Andretti don't get in, yeah, we'll work with you. I thought you utter, utter, I'm not going to say the word, <laughs> but Timo, you know exactly what I think. But um, yeah, that's what I thought there. I thought, you know what? You... You sod, really. Um, that kind of made me feel a bit upset this weekend, considering how much I backed James Dowles up the other week. And it's attitudes like that that really get my juices sort of blood boiled and ugh, horrible. Oku, your blood was boiling for a different reason and probably the same reason everyone on track's blood was boiling. Yeah, so I went for the circuit of Qatar and the FIA. At this point, I really feel like I have this personal beef with the Qatar Grand Prix. I just want to. We're sensing that as well. Don't calendar. worry. We will see that. Yeah, it's just because of all the reasons that we have listed throughout this episode and the way the FIA handled stuff. Um, not really big fan of the circuit or the FIA this weekend. No. Fair enough. I've actually gone for a driver, which I know shock and horror. We we are allowed to choose drivers in this section. Um, it should come as no surprise. So I think it's Sergio Perez for all of the reasons that I've already listed above. And I just it pains me because Jake, this is a debate you and I have a lot of the time of just because you are essentially a nice guy doesn't mean that you necessarily deserve to keep your seat in F1. Mick Schumacher is the perfect example of that. We love Mick Schumacher, but mm, 
it, it just didn't materialize. Yeah. And Perez is just, for a driver the way we know, he can win races, he can get on the podium. Red Bull clearly saw something in him that was worth salvaging. And like like you were saying, okay, there's there's not real much reason to complain because they still managed to win everything, but it's not the point. They don't just want to win. They want to dominate, and they have been, but they want to just up the domination of as much as they can, and he's really hampering that. And I don't think he'll get P2 in the standings if he keeps going like this, and there'll be a second year in a row then that he will have missed out on it, and it might go down to the last race where it slips through his fingers because of mistakes like the ones he's been making in Qatar in previous rounds. So it's a real shame to see that, but... As is often the way, I will try my tough love approach on him. And if for no other reason, I want to see him win the Mexican Grand Prix. Because if he is out at the end of the year, it would be nice to actually get him higher than third on the podium for that. So with that done, we're going to just rip through quickly the predictions review. Because there's really not much to go on on that. Especially as you two weren't part of this because you weren't here for the preview last week. Um, all three of us got a point for getting Verstappen pole. Easy money there. We also got one point each for everyone for Verstappen win. I would have got a perfect podium, but I got my McLarens the wrong around because of um, how I do my predictions. So knowing my luck, they're going to be the other way around again for Austin. So I'm just going to keep not quite getting points. No one got points as fast as lap. Carlos Sainz really let me down on that one. Uh, but I did get one point for Bottas scoring at least one point because that was my world prediction. Um, so you get, that was, how did that you get <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not sure how I did that. I need to see, I'll go back and see if Lakeside Drive predicted that he would go in P10 because whenever they predict something well for him, it goes wrong. And I want to see if there's some kind of counterbalance there. Um, so see if we can find out a way to make Bottas succeed. And uh, Ellie, mate, if you're listening, Perez collided with Ocon and Hulk in the sprint, so no point for you because you were just vague enough with Perez doesn't collide with anyone. So even though it wasn't necessarily his fault, he still collided, so I'm counting that. Um, yeah. We're going to move He's on from there. there. Um, you should get five points for uh, Bottas scoring a point because that is that is wacky. That is very wacky in this day and age. So... Uh... It's, it got to the stage in the predictions where I really do not care too much at this point. So I thought, yeah, let's just see what I can do with this one. So, and we got butter. So I'm not going to bring that two weekends in a row. I'm not a madman, but, you know, once every now and again is nice enough. Um, over in the F1 Fancy Review, though, for Qatar, we do have some familiar names in the top three, but not necessarily the ones you'd expect to be in the top three, aside from first place. For Qatar itself, Alex H9V2 was out in front with 443 points. Mitchell K Team 1 with 431. But then the omnipresent in third place with EMT Racing, in but not even in third place, joint P2 with 431 points. Uh, on the curbs was down in P18 with 242 because I was hampered by Hamilton DNFing and Alpha Tauri not performing. Um, overall, though, Alex H9V2 leads the way with 5,000 points. Francisco Rhodes is in second with 5,020, and then Alex H9, just normally, is in third with 4,907 points. But the most mysterious bit for me out of all of that is that somehow on the curbs has retained P12 on 3,806 points despite that shocking weekend. I'm not entirely sure how I've managed that, but that is pretty much the story of my life, I think. Um, any final thoughts from you two on the Qatar Grand Prix weekend? So on a scale from 1 to 10, how do you rate the weekend? How was it for you guys? Oh, Jacob, go on. Can we rank it on a scale of 1 to 17? 
because that makes it a lot easier. <laughs> where, where me and Timo have ranked it, we have a thing where we sort of get together after the race and sort of rank it so we know what's the best race at the end of the year. But um, sprint, it's one of those things, isn't it? Do you sort of package it all together or do you just sort of go with the Grand Prix? I always just go with the Grand Prix because that's the main event and I don't always catch some of the sprint action. But bringing what happened with the tyres, I thought were quite embarrassing for the FIA. The conditions perhaps weren't ideal. The fact that maybe we're cost a better race with the Ham with the Hamilton George incidents, it was a it, it was an okay weekend. It certainly wasn't the worst, which says quite a lot about the season. So I'll give it a a ten, sort of middle of the road, halfway house. It's fair. And you, Timo? Given the extra low bar that we've had to measure this season with, I'm going to weirdly give it around a seven. Um, just because there was some interesting stuff in there. And if I take out my personal annoyance at Mercedes, we still got some interesting stuff. We still got Williams points in the sprint. We still got Alfredo double points in the race. We've got Alpine in there. We've got Piastri being in legend and Alonso trying his hardest there. So there was a bit of, there was some, there was stuff to like about it. But what about you? Where are you rating it? And I would give it a seven, but just for the sake of Carlos signs, I would put it down one more point and say a <laughs> solid six. <laughs> it's understandable. He let, he let, well, he didn't let us down. Ferrari let us down, and yeah. we should know better by now, but that's not going to stop us from hoping, is it? No, never. <laughs> Unfortunately, on that sad note, that's all we've got time for for this week's episode. In the meantime, though, Jacob, where can the people find you if they want a bit more of you? If you want a bit more of me, you can find me in a pub be it virtually or realistically in a real pub real life pub somewhere around the country i can be found over at on the curbs pub chat we have some me and timo have got some uh, few episodes on there it's a fantastic series i really hope you guys get behind timo's series there um, we talk all things motorsports um, a little bit of negativity sprinkled in but you know it's, it's it's good fun and you can find me over on x twitter whatever you want to call it now that old bird app thing um jacob phil 18. okay what about yourself you can find me over on is it fast and pit debrief where i write and also instagram and TikTok. as for myself you can find me also on is it fast on the curbs the night authority and instagram all of the details and links for those will be in the description below for this episode. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next time to preview the Austin Grand Prix. <laughs>